0: Uh, Good evening. Welcome to Refuge. Uh, Excited to be here continuing our study through the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, Just just as a quick reminder before we get into our study this evening, uh, this coming Sunday, mark your calendars at 6.30 p.m. We will have our our final um, uh, class as far as theology is concerned. And uh, Robert O'Dell is going to be covering conservative theology. So that's this Sunday at 6.30 uh, conservative theology. Uh, we, we also, this Saturday, um, we have a beach day. So uh, we're getting together by the lifeguard stand that's closest to Noggles. And so if you're looking for us, that's where we'll be in that area. So, and that's uh, what, 10 a.m. is is the time that we're all, yeah, 10 a.m. All right. So with that, open up your Bibles, if you're not there already, uh, to Second Samuel chapter 6. Um, <clears throat> this evening, we, we do continue our study through this book, going through chapter 6. In, in this chapter, uh, after the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines, uh, it, was, um, it, it was sent off, but it was sent off for, for a specific reason. It, it's, uh, it's funny that uh, the Philistines had taken this as a, as a prize, as a trophy, so to speak, of, uh, of being victorious over the Israelites. And yet, it didn't prove the wisest thing to do. Uh, there were plagues that overwhelmed them, and many people died and, uh, and got sick. And so they sent it off. They put it on a cart, and they sent it, up, sent it off, and it, and it uh, wound up in kiriath Jerem, which in the house specifically of Abinadab. And uh, it stayed there for 20 years dur- during the rule of King Saul, And so here we are 20 years later, and David makes it a point to retrieve it and bring it to uh, Jerusalem, which is uh, at this time known as the city of David. Now, previously, it was located in Shiloh. So you could say it it made kind of like a westward, southward uh, tour down into Philistine country and then back um, uh, northeast Um, toward the Dead Sea and into Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to be looking at this this evening. Uh, In the midst of all of this, though, of David going and retrieving the Ark of God, uh, we're going to see some mistakes made by both David and his wife. Uh, But we will also see how David learned from his initial mistake, and he kind of regrouped, he corrected from that, repented, realized the error of his ways, and, uh, and then he continued. So, we have to consider, as David did, the importance of God's presence in our lives. As we see this, David, what David desired to do is, is act upon that very thing, that uh, the very presence that God had promised, that he would abide Um, over the cherubim, over the ark of of God, um, that was a very symbol of God's presence and his glory. And so he wanted that to be brought back to Jerusalem, to the very place that he had called home. So he wanted that to be the very center of Israel, the nation of Israel, all of God's people. Wherever God is received and worshipped, there is blessing and hope. Remember that, wherever... God is received and worshipped. There is blessing and hope as we worship him in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing upon this evening. Lord, give us, uh, Lord, not only understanding of your word, making sense of it, Father, as far as how your word comes together and how we see you in the midst of it all, but, but how it is that we can apply it to our lives, to your glory. And, and so, Lord, show us once again your, your faithfulness, Lord, your, your holiness, your righteousness, and how it is that this man, David, Lord, although imperfect, Lord, de- demonstrated even this evening through the study of this chapter, uh, Lord, uh, a willingness, uh, a, a humility to come before you in in worship, to not even regard himself in that worship, but even before that, to humble himself and realize that he had made an error, and to repent of that, to admit it to all around him, and to do the right thing from that point on. And so, Lord, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So... Let's do this, so that way at least I have some sense of time. All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Um, some of the uh, parallel passages that we're going to be taking a look at can be found in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, 15, and 16. Uh, so we're going to kind of be going uh, going to be uh, flipping through our Bible back and forth and in other places as we uh, seek to understand what we have before us. So let's start out Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Ju- Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Um, turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 13. In First Chronicles, so um, we have... Uh, Second Samuel then first and second Kings and then we come to Chronicles. First Chronicles. So first Chronicles chapter thirteen is what I want to read from. It gives us a bit more information and detail regarding this very event. And so First Chronicles chapter thirteen and verse one. All right. All right, so <clears throat> let's begin. First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1 says, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasturelands." Uh, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Verse 5. So David assembled all Israel from uh, the Nile of Egypt to Libo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jerem, and David and all Israel went up to Baalah. And that is to Kiriath-Jerim. That belongs to Judah. To bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carry the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. What an occasion, Right? So let's back up a bit. I, I wanted to read that because that way it gives us a better understanding of the details of this event. It gives us a, a bit more in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. So David, as we see there in 1 Chronicles 13, consulted with all the leaders of Israel. He had gathered them together and, uh, and asked them uh, really for their feedback, also consulting the Lord. Because... He wanted to retrieve the ark of God from the home of Abinadab. Now, it hadn't been done in 20 years, and so uh, there's safety in, in the multitude of counselors. It, it's good to seek the counsel of godly men. For us men, we should seek the counsel of godly men. We should. Ones that we can count on that will go to the word of God and give us counsel according to the word of God in context. Understanding the word very well. They'll give us sound counsel, advice. They'll lead us in the right direction. And so that's what David did. The thing seemed right in the eyes of all the people. And uh, it says here that 30,000 assembled. 30,000. Imagine that. that. This was no small gathering. It was huge to come together and retrieve the ark of God And we know that, as it's described, that there was a great celebration uh, in the bringing back of the Ark of God into the heart of Israel, both geographically and spiritually. Think about this. You know, geographically, they were bringing it from the house of Abinadab to the very heart of Israel into Jerusalem, the very place where their king uh, was living, uh, the city of David. And so that was geographically, of course, the heart of Israel, but more importantly, King David knew that spiritually, this needed to be the very heart of the people, that God would be at the center, his holiness, his glory. God promised that his presence would remain above the cherubim. You see, the ark represented the faithful presence of God according to verse 2 and his glory. And David knew it was important for Israel to know that God was with them and that his glory was what they sought. So tribal leaders, priests, Levites, and military leaders were called upon and all came and assembled, agreeing that it would be right to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem. And there was great excitement that was building up within the whole nation of Israel. 30,000 people. Can you imagine you see a whole, like a few people coming over the horizon and then you see more and more and a total of 30,000 come to your home? That was Abinadab. Abinadab was there, and it says that his home was on a hill, right? But you see these people coming and coming and coming and coming. Oh, something's great. Either we're getting attacked <laughs> or something good's about to go down, something horrible or something good. And, and it, was, it was definitely something good. But we see that they somehow set the ark on a new cart. They built a new cart. It was, it was brand new. I'm sure it was very nice. And brought it out of Abinadab's house. You can say that Ohio was driving the cart, as it says here, and Uzzah stayed with the cart as the ox were pulling it. A couple of ox yoked together, pulling the uh, the new cart with wheels. And uh, the Ark of God on top of it. Now, I'm thinking that the Ark of God was moved with the poles that should have remained with it. You see, it had these poles that went through these rings. And it was supposed to be carried by them. So, I'm I'm, I'm thinking that perhaps from the place where it was sitting for 20 years to the cart, perhaps they moved it by these poles. This was the right way. And initially, all was going well. Until, verse 5, let's continue. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Now let's flip over to First Chronicles chapter 13. You can keep your place there or throw a piece of paper in there to hold it because we're going to go back, back and forth. Verse 9. And When they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand To take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Described a, a little bit different in the two, but it was the same. Almost word for word, Chronicles describes Uzzah as having died there before God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 7, it says that he died there beside the ark of God. Uzzah did die before God, and he did die beside the ark of God. Both are correct. But it was a joyous occasion, wasn't it? Thousands of people gathered and you can say loud music was being played and songs were being sung. Was there something wrong with that? No, not at all. It wasn't any of that. Something wasn't right. Perhaps it was a manner in which the object of their worship was being handled. It wasn't being handled rightly. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. exodus 25 in verse 12 this is the command that god made regarding the ark of the covenant which is what we're referring to now in verse 12 god says you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it you shall make make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Pretty clear, right? This is the manner in which you are to not only build the ark, but assemble it in such a way to where these rings are set in place, the poles are to be placed within those rings, and they are to be carried. It is to be carried by these poles. Now turn with me to Numbers chapter four and verse fifteen. So, Numbers chapter four and verse fifteen. This is just so we know exactly what's happening here and why it is that this happened the way it happened. So, Numbers chapter four. Verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. So even the people who are ordained, divinely appointed to do this very work, to carry these items, are are not to touch the holy things, otherwise they themselves would would die. Right? Very, just very clear. Don't, don't touch it just reminds me of just don't touch God's glory. Don't touch it. Just, just leave it. Don't take it upon yourself. Don't receive it as if you're something great or some, like, it just comes from you. It's just it's just not coming from, from us. It's not coming from me. It's anything good comes from the Lord. Don't touch God's glory. God is to be worshipped in the prescribed manner in which he prescribes and not however man chooses to. There's a manner in which God said that this is the manner in which you will glorify me, you will praise me, you will demonstrate that you love me. And anything contrary to that is just not true. It's false. You see, God had been very clear as to how the ark was to be built and moved and who was to carry the ark. The object of their worship and the burden of their worship was not to be modified in any way, shape, or form. But wait, didn't the Philistines carry the Ark? Did they carry it in this manner? And the answer is no. Uh, Remember that they put it on a cart the same way in which the Israelites had put it on a cart. And, sent, and, and they had sent it off, right? And it showed up at Abinadab's house. At least it was brought there as it was, uh, had come to a stop close by. And so they, they brought it there. But the Philistines has, had carried the ark on a cart, much the same way as the Israelites were doing up to the point to where it kind of stumbled a little bit. And Uzzah reached out and took a hold of it. And we know that to be true because it says it in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. But are they God's people? They're not. They were ignorant of God's commands, and they experienced plagues wherever the ark went. You can jot down 1 Samuel chapter 5. And so we know because of this, they sent the ark off on a cart with two milk cows pulling it away from the land of the Philistines until it came to Kiriath-jearim according to 1 Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 and 2 now Israel knew better should have known better Israel should have sought God's word and know how it is that the ark of God was to be handled carried Moved. You see, there was a prescribed way of transporting the ark of God. As we read, we, we went through and we understood, right? As we, as, as we just read, this was God's command. This is something that the Israelites knew very well. It's interesting, but Uzzah means strength. As we consider the two that were taking care of bringing the ark of God back to Jerusalem with all of the 30,000 that were with him. Now, Uzzah and Ahio were both sons of Abinadab. Uzzah means strength, and Ahio means friendly. Uh, Friendly, you could say, was leading God's presence, and strength was making an attempt at ensuring God's presence remained upright, standing by in case there was an issue with the cart that was transporting it. Something, by the way, in ministry that we can be inclined to doing. Now, please keep in mind that David inquired of the people as to whether they agreed if it was a good idea to bring the ark to Jerusalem. But obviously, they never inquired of God as to how to bring the ark back. The what of ministry could be good, but the how of ministry can be wrong. If God is not considered and consulted, that is his word, things like this can happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I Am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Ministry done without that agape love is really, as described by the, by the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, it's all a, an event of the flesh. It amounts to nothing, it is empty, it is vain. It results in, in nothing worthwhile. He says even if he's uh, willing to give himself up, I'm giving myself up for the sake of the ministry and this and that. Yeah, but you have no love whatsoever. You, you don't really understand what it means to minister in the name of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul was saying you gain absolutely Nothing. In fact, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 21. This is the whole situation where Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. It's interesting as Jesus engaged the Samaritan woman, she went from referring to him as a Jew to a prophet and then to the Christ. There was a progression as she realized exactly who, who it was that was before him. Now, in John chapter 4, verse 21. Well, we'll back up to verse 20, because this is what the Samaritan woman said. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Uh, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see God is interested in the heart of man. Be holy, be sanctified, set aside, consecrated unto the Lord and worship God in spirit and in truth. It's a prescribed manner in which we are to worship the Lord. Not not by the flesh, not by anything other than in spirit and in truth. When our worship, whatever we do, when our worship is led by the spirit, which leads us in all truth, then our emotional connection will be sound as we will worship God rightly and not in a way we've made up in our own deceitful hearts. We can be emotionally connected. There's nothing in the Bible, and we see evidence of this with the life of, with these events with King David, that there was an emotional connection to God as he worshipped him by singing and dancing before the Lord. We're going to see that. But it has to be grounded in spirit and in truth. Not out of order, not out of context It needs to be well within what even we're going to see here with King David. But there is a prescribed way of worshiping God. Not in any other way, but the way God prescribes. Well, when the oxen stumbled... Uzzah, at that very moment, why? Because this is what they were doing. They were, they were following through. We can go back to Second um, to Samuel. But Uzzah was just reacting to something that was natural. Um, this had taken place. It had already set up the retrieval of the Ark of God in such a way that uh, it was on a cart. It was going back, and uh, they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, And he put his hand out. The oxen stumbled. Uh, The ark of God looked like it was going to fall off the card. And and, uh, and Uzzah stuck out his hand. Grabbed a hold of it. And he was struck dead right then and there. But we know that as we read, God had warned that this would happen. Numbers 4, chapter 4, verse 15. That if anyone touched the ark of God, anything holy, that they would die. Well, this indeed happened. Man has a tendency to make attempts in the flesh to stabilize or prevent God's presence from tipping over. I, you know, a long time ago, I, in ministry, if you, if you're in ministry for any length of time, you'll kind of see this. You'll see Especially if you're doing things in the flesh. Well, even if you're not doing things in the flesh, what you tend to see is, is perhaps, um, you know, a, a little shaking of the ark of God, the very presence of God. And you think it's shaking, but God knows exactly what he's doing. And we have a tendency in the flesh to put our hand out and stabilize it to prevent God's presence from tipping over. How? By our own strength and ingenuity. I got it all figured out. Sometimes. No, all times. (laughs) We need to just relax. We need to let God do his work. Move by his spirit. You know, waiting on the Lord is hoping in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. And God works these things out in such a way. That it's just absolutely beautiful. I think if more people just... Just trust in the Lord, cling to Him, and have faith in Him. He'll work through many of these issues, and all of these issues, and, uh, and it'll all be to His glory. But we just need to trust Him. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 3.3, 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Remember that there is no one like God, and there is no such thing as God tipping over. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. There is none like God, and he cannot be overcome, for he is God. Well, we know that David failed to consult with God regarding the transportation of the Ark of God. Uzzah reached out to prevent it from falling over and was struck dead. And at this point, David was angry. Verse 8, as we continue says, And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. Uh, there are um, a couple different opinions as to why it was that David got angry. Like what he, what he was angry at. Uh, it's interesting as you read the different um, commentaries, the way people study the Word of God, and and so there's there's like okay, so it could have been this, could have been that. But we see evidence uh, of of them as we look at Scripture. We just read how it was that he was angry, and he David couldn't find himself really. See himself doing anything, but like it's got to stop right now and let's take it to the house of Obed-Edom. And he did. And uh, and he went he went back to Jerusalem. It stayed there for three months. But the first view of why it was that David got angry was because his intentions were sincere and good. Can I, Can you relate to this? You know, my intentions were really good. They were sincere. Like, I I really thought that I was doing something good here. And then I see something happen that, you know, really communicates to me that perhaps I shouldn't continue. Why? Why won't you bless my efforts, Lord? Why is it that this has to stop right now? I mean, there, there was just celebration. How many people were gathered together? 30,000 people. They came to get the Ark of God. Is it not a good thing that we're bringing the Ark of God back to Jerusalem, the very heart of Israel? The answer, of course, is yes. But at the moment, perhaps it didn't seem good enough. Maybe not good enough to overlook a major violation of God's word. In fact, we see here that David was angry and afraid of the Lord. And we know that he wasn't about to take the ark back with him to the city of David. There's no way. There's no way he was going to put more people at risk of death. And, uh, and then even himself, he didn't know, by the way, that that was wise to, to stop everything. We're going to stop right here. Already one person perished. I don't want any more. To perish. That was actually very, very, very wise. It'd be wise for more pastors to do that very same thing. At this moment, we're going to stop. We're going to just like just take a moment and just pause. Let's go back to the Lord. Look at his word. And, and see, perhaps, if there's sin in the camp. Like there's something that's happening that isn't right. Let's seek the Lord. Let's pray. Well... There was. There was an error in the manner in which they were doing things. So David left it there at the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Obed-Edom's home was blessed throughout the three months it remained there. But there, were, there, were, there was a more work that God was doing in those three months with David in preparation of receiving the Ark of God into Jerusalem. And we see that in First Chronicles chapter 15. David thought about the situation and sought the Lord during that time. Uh, the second view is that David was angry with himself. Um, David was angry with himself for having overlooked God's command and endangering the lives of God's people. In other words, he knew he was careless and he was upset with himself. We, we don't see that as, as we read through 2 Samuel chapter 6, we don't see that that immediately came to his attention. It says he was angry, he didn't want to continue, and he took the ark to the house of Abinadab. Initially, David may have been angry with confusion because of the death of Uzzah, but we know that David actually realized and understood why it happened. As we continue, let's read in verses 12 through 15. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So let's get some more detail. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 1 is where we're going to start. Okay, so this is after this all took place, uh, as far as Uzzah and the Ark is concerned. And um, so David is back in Jerusalem, and 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1 says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the Ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites, of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief with 120 of his brothers, of the sons of Merari, uh, Z- Isaiah, the chief, with 220 of his brothers, of the sons of Gershom, jo- Joel, uh, the chief, with 130 of his brothers, and so on and so forth. Come down to verse, let's see here, 11. So he assembled all of these to minister to the Lord. And verse 11 says, Then David summoned the priests Zadok and Abiathar and the Levites uh, Uriel." Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab, and said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Ah, there was the answer right there. And so David David confessed it. And yet he prepared. He understood where it was that he made the mistake, and he corrected it. And he aligned himself with the word of God. So he got everyone together, and in verse 25 it says, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the the Ark and the singers, and uh, Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. And David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn trumpets and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. So, as we see there, in those few verses in the middle of 1 Chronicles chapter 15, David explained to the Levites what he had come to understand was the reason why the Lord had broken out against them at the threshing floor of Nacon. When the oxen stumbled and Uzzah put out his hand to to stabilize the ark of God, taking a hold of it. When things are not working out in your own life. And there is no peace, and there exists a lack of understanding. Look no further than to God's word. It is enough. And like David, agree with it, and apply it as you repent of your own ways. That's the formula that we're we're, we're given in God's word. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, is found in him. And quite honestly, you either believe it or you don't. Uh, many people want to enhance the quality of their lives by seeking the answer outside of the Word of god it won 't be found outside of the Word of god it 's in the Word of God completely. I believe second peter one three to be true. Be encouraged because David did not give up. Uh, there, was, there was a loss of one life. Um, there was a pause. But he didn't stop. In those three months, remember, he, he was still building. In fact, he built this tent so that it would house. He had great hope in the Lord. He knew that something went wrong, but he continued, didn't he? His, his work, his life was evidence of the fact that he, he still believed that uh, the ark of God was going to be brought to Jerusalem. What he didn't quite get at the moment, though, was it was exactly where it was that he he erred. But he found out he realized it. He didn't give up. He sought the Lord and the Lord was faithful to reveal what was wrong in how to do it the right way. And the ark of God was brought to Jerusalem in a great and awesome way, but more importantly, in the right way. Now, after the first six steps, it wasn't after every six steps. This is what what they were doing. They were sacrificing unto the Lord. Uh, We know as they came into Jerusalem, they sacrificed a burnt offering and a peace offering. Uh, One was in confession to their sin and an offering of atoning sacrifice. And it was followed immediately after that with a peace offering, demonstrating a desire for God's fellowship as they consecrated themselves unto the the Lord their God. And so this, this was what they were doing. You see, this is great confidence in the Lord. David knew, hey, listen, this is the prescribed manner of worshiping the Lord. We come, first of all, and we, we offer a burnt offering. This is for our sins. This is for us. We need to have atonement for our sins. But secondly, we know that through that, that we, we can have fellowship with the Lord. So let's make a peace offering. And that's what that speaks of. You know, I love what D.L. Moody has a saying in regards to consecration. He says, consecrate and then concentrate. You guys ever heard that before? Consecrate and then concentrate. Means total surrender and then total focus on fellowship with, worship of, and the glory of God should follow. When, always, we love because we have first been loved, we need to learn what it is that blesses the Lord. What it is that honors him. He has given us all. We must give him no, no less than all. John 3.30 says, he must increase, but I must decrease. We should have that perspective. We, we should have that kind of a love toward him, knowing that, hey, in my life, I want him to increase. And I want myself to continually decrease. Well, we know the ark did make it into the city of David verse 16 let's continue back in second samuel chapter 6 verse 16 it says as the ark of the lord came into the city of david michael the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw king david leaping and dancing before the lord and she despised him in her heart and they brought in the ark of the lord and set it set it in its place inside the tent that david had pitched for it and david offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the lord And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. Now, I know I keep saying his wife, Michael, but it's not actually the right pronunciation. Uh, It's, it's, so that's lazy on my part. It's uh, Michal. That's, so that's the way you actually pronounce it or uh, in Polish it's Michał. So Michał is, uh, is, is easier to say. But, um, you know, as the ark of God came into the city of David, Michal saw David dancing. And what did she do? Look how My husband, dancing before the ark like that. How beautiful. He is like worshiping and praising God, just like everyone else. No. See, David at that very moment didn't know what was going on in the heart of his wife. But at that very moment, she, in her heart, despised him. All too often, that happens within the church. I say, brother or sister, if you're married and are walking with the Lord alone, and your spouse is not in the same place with you, stay the course. Stay the course. We'll see how it is that David responds to his wife despising him in her heart because in a few moments, she'll express exactly what she thinks of him. In the meantime, keep that in the back of your head, and and because the expression of that and just the, the outpouring of her heart is going to come out in, through her mouth. But in the meantime, David held nothing back in his expression of love and adoration and worship of God. Held nothing back. Sometimes we're too conservative, we're too reserved, like... You know, it's just let, let me I'm just going to lead a quiet life. You know, if you ask me about my faith, perhaps I'll let you know. But but no, you, we should be looking for every opportunity to glorify the Lord, not only by how we live, but also by how we speak and what we say, because we ought to. Do, although we may not be gifted evangelists. We are we ought to do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because we can't wait to tell someone else about salvation that can come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. David held nothing back in his expression of love for God. He adored him, he worshipped God, and everyone knew it. David's wife felt he was acting in a worthless manner. In fact, she felt like he was worthy of scorn. Oh, he's behaving in an undignified manner, unbefitting of a king. And she felt contempt toward him. This was something very serious. This would later, later, of course, be communicated to David, as we'll see in a few moments. And this would be communicated to him after he made sure the ark of God was in the tent that he had pitched for it, that he had put together for it. After he had offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after he had blessed each and every person in the nation of Israel with gifts on such a joyous occasion. Can you imagine just coming, coming out of this? How much excitement was he filled with? How much joy was he filled with? The ark of God is in Jerusalem. It's in the city of David. It's in the very place where it should be. interesting how it was that Michal was described. She was described as the daughter of Saul, perhaps because she was behaving like her father at this point. One more thing, David's dancing before the Lord was appropriate. You know, uh, sometimes we hear that he uh, like stripped down to his chonies and was dancing naked before um, the ark of God. It, it, that's not true. That's not true. In fact, he was clothed like the others who were worshiping the Lord. It's believed that this was much like Orthodox and Messianic Jews sing and dance songs before, before the Lord. I loved when we had, um, we had dinners here with uh, our brothers and sisters in Messianic Church, Beth Simca, uh, which is here local and. And, uh, and and we we enjoyed learning the dances, the the, the blowing of the shofar. Um, just it was beautiful. It, it was absolutely beautiful. Too bad that we, we haven't been able to come together ever ever since. But uh, it's been a while. But it, it's they come together in such a joyful and unified manner, singing and dancing as one unto the Lord, and for His glory and no other. There's one uh, gentleman in particular. Uh, what was his name? Stephen? Aaron. Aaron. I, I, th- that is just always sticking in my mind. Just the just the picture of, of Aaron. J- just the name. I should have remembered Aaron. <laughs> but Aaron, um, he would blow the shafar, and he kind of reminded me of David, King David. Because I, I would picture, I would see Aaron, and I was like, he's doing it for no one else. He, had, he has no audience, but you can see it. He has an audience of one. Dancing the dances with everyone else. But he would go off, and he would grab, grab the shafar at just the appropriate times and the fitting times. And he would blow the shafar, and he, he knew how to blow the shafar, unlike me. And, uh, and, and it was just absolutely beautiful. And I always have that etched in my mind and in my heart. And I think, as I see that, me personally, I think of King David in that same manner. When you worship the Lord, don't think of anyone else. Don't worry about what the person behind you or in front of you is thinking. It really doesn't matter. Just in the context of the situation, worship him appropriately, right? Not, Not bringing unnecessary... Uh, attention to yourself but you can lift your hands you can lift your voice you can kind of sway a little bit you know like like just that is your expression of worship when you're serving him in any way shape or form within ministry or outside um, just listen to this not everyone is called to be a pastor or an assistant pastor or an administrative pastor or or something official within the church quote-unquote official okay but everyone is called to glorify the Lord that call on him as their God and their Lord. Be prepared to magnify him and glorify him and worship him wherever you are, whatever you're, you're doing, whether it's insurance, whether it's in sales, whether it's in the warehouse, wherever it is, you are to glorify the Lord. With your whole life. So this was David. He was unreserved in his worship of God. And then he arrived at home. Verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Exclamation point. Stop there just for a moment. It deserves some attention. After such a wonderful day, such an amazing day, having successfully brought the Ark of God to Jerusalem after it had been out of the center of Israel, Israel's life for 20 years. David had to have been excited. Excited to come home and bless his household, but. Sweetheart, good news. And David was greeted. He probably saw the look. It was just a look like. Oh, what, what's going on here, right? And David was greeted with self-centered sarcasm. David must have been disappointed, to say the least. What a way to be greeted at home after such a day. Again, she is described for the second time as the daughter of Saul. His wife despised what she regarded as the undignified act of a king. Uh, He had disrobed of his royal clothing. That's what he had taken off of himself, is... His royal clothing and was robed like the others who were celebrating in the procession, just like everyone else. And she revealed just what she thought of the other people. She regarded them as vulgar fellows, unrefined, lacking good taste and sophistication. Oh, that is beneath us, David, King David. How would you do such a thing? That was repulsive, that was shameful. David's wife was ashamed of David because of this. But did David hang his head in defeat? No. He sure didn't. He rather rebuked his wife. You know, that's another thing. You know, for, for you who are, are you're walking with the Lord, don't, don't hang your head in shame. When, when, when someone attempts to shame you, and you are simply worshiping the Lord and standing with him and glorifying him. You have nothing to abo- apologize for. You're standing with the Lord, whether you're at work or with your family. You know, oh, here comes the the pastor, you know, speaking of you, because, you know, you know, if you're walking with the Lord, you know, your family will, will kind of mock you. If you haven't already, just stand by. You know, your unbelieving family, many times they, they make, you know, snarky remarks and and they say things. Don't let that bother you. Be careful on how you respond. Be careful. right? Because it, it could make, that could be the very difference between them coming back to you later and, and seeking you out in times of trouble and them not coming to you because you've built this barrier between you and them. Because of the way that you've responded. But... David did not hang his head in defeat, but rather he rebuked his wife at this very moment. Verse 21, as we come to a close. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, once again, had no child to the day of her death. So David simply said these things. He acknowledged and he confessed that his acts were before the Lord and no one else. By the one, he's the one that had chosen me above your father and his household, is what he had told her. Just kind of think about that. As I said earlier, David's act of celebration was appropriate and fitting to the occasion and the context of the event. Number two, David acknowledged that he was selected by, God's, by, by God as God's prince or leader or administrator over God's people. Yes, what, what he was acknowledging was that these were not his people. This is something very important. These were not his people. He was—he was basically appointed as um, the the administrator of God's people. In other words, he was regarding himself as a steward of God's people, and this was the king of Israel. You know, he wasn't filled with pride. Important note: he he wasn't taking possession of God's people. He was saying these are God's people, and that's what he acknowledged. Something very important for us. Any ministry that you're participating in, it's not your ministry. Be very careful. Don't be prideful in your possession of that ministry. It's God's ministry. Make sure that you're always seeking the Lord and seeking to glorify him. Remember, consecrate and then concentrate. As you do that, ministry will become something very different. David also stated he celebrated and would celebrate before the Lord again. Oh, listen, for me, he says, um, he says, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. Oh, you thought this was contemptible. I I am in my own eyes. I am contemptible. If anyone thinks you are contemptible. uh, Just make sure that you understand that you are more contemptible than what they think you're contemptible. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, Chad, you're a sinner. Chad would say, Oh, I'm the chief of all sinners, as the Apostle Paul would say, right? Yeah, be- why you know why? Because we know our hearts. It's like, oh, let, let me let me just save you the trouble. I am so much worse than what you're thinking right now. And so David knew that. He knew that. Oh, you think I fall short? Oh, I fall way short. Way, way more. Short than what you are thinking right now. He said he would make himself even more despised and abased in her eyes. He will be repugnant and belittled in her eyes. But it didn't matter. What mattered was what David saw, or God saw in David. That's what really mattered. Was he a man of repentance? of humility before a holy and righteous God. That's what matters. Because when you truly know the Lord, everything you will lay before him and not touch it. He requires for us to confess our sins. And then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We just need to come to that humble place in our own hearts and surrender once more to him. That's it. But he also acknowledged, David did, that he would be held in honor by others who knew the sincerity of his heart toward God. There's, there's others around that know the sincerity of heart, your heart, and, and they'll encourage you. Let's do this together. Let's keep going. You may be despised by others, but there are still others that God has brought alongside you, and they will understand Your service is genuine and sincere. Let's keep going. Well, whether it was God's judgment that Michal had no children to the day of her death, or it was because David perhaps simply ceased to have relations with her, we don't know. We're not told. But we do know that Saul ended up having no one to succeed the throne of Israel. Regardless, don't be a Michal. <laughs> know and worship God and don't hinder, and definitely do not despise others who unreservedly celebrate and worship God. I'll leave you with these two verses. First Corinthians chapter after all we've covered. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirty-one. One of my favorite verses. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God of God. And 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He, may, he knows exactly when you're ready to be exalted. That means to be brought to a place that perhaps is, um, you can be more effective in whatever it is that you're doing to his glory. And that's all up to him. That's what he will do. That's in his time. But for you, Humble yourself. Otherwise, what happens is he brings you low. Because he does that with the prideful. He brings him low. In, in some way or another, he brings him low. So, much to chew on, I understand. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us remember these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for your word. We, we do ask, Lord, that um, you do not allow us to forget uh, these things that we learned this evening as we studied through Second Samuel chapter 6. Lord, I pray that these things would stay in our hearts, that we would remember them often, and perhaps it would cause us to seek your word just a, a little more and, and study it for ourselves and, and, Lord, see for ourselves. But I pray, Father, that you would truly continue to To shed your grace on us, pour your spirit out upon us. Help us walk according to the spirit that we would not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Help us to be humble before you as David was, as he erred. And yet he repented, realizing where it was that he went wrong. Lord, he came back and did things right. Lord, let us not be reserved in our worship of you, but hold nothing back. Lord, let us uh, sing with joy, serve you with great joy. And, uh, and truly do everything as unto you, for you are deserving of all of our praise and all of our worship. We thank you, Lord, for loving us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for through him we have the hope of heaven. Thank you, Lord, that we are secured a place in heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We just give you all the praise and honor, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Um, what we're going to do is, um, I believe we're stepping out back, right?